0: Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Wintry greetings. Well, us all the way from Arkansas, Tennessee, is Lee Younger.
1: Fellas, your weather is drunk and you need to come home. You come over here and bring it back home.
0: No, thank you. <laughs> We've got plenty of ourselves. Yes, we record in the depths of winter, which is fairly normal here in Chicago, where I believe the uh, current temperature is 19 degrees, which is... 30 degrees warmer than it has been in the past week. Um <laughs> however, our friends in the American South have been treated to several actual inches of snow that stayed on the ground, and they are not, as the kids say, built for that.
1: Apocalypse.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's as
1: if that sounded like a Mortal Kombat move. That was really cool. Thank um you. it sound it it it, it feels like we've been given one week of what y'all's entire miserable winter is like for the past, for Matt, like 13 years and Jed, like 25 years or something like that. And it's absolutely insane.
0: Yes. And if you're a listener to this podcast or someone else who knows me in your life, who's ever texted me a taunting thing during the winter, I want you to know that this is why that's happening to you.
1: <laughs> it's notality. <laughs> you
0: know what? Um, if people didn't actually die in in snowstorms, I would definitely make that the uh, the episode title. But I'm gonna <laughs> I'm a little, <laughs> little trepidatious on snowtality. Though it is very nicely done. Thank you, thank you. Yes, we have a great show lined up. We've got some of your fine questions, but first we do have to check in on a snow apocalypse emergency. What? Whoa! And fellas, I, I you know I don't always. You know, I don't want to regulate anyone's emotions. I don't want to tell anyone how to feel. I just want to say that while we're here on the show, I think it's important that we put on a brave face, that we don't really you know, go too far into the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Even when it's, even when it's warranted, it's up to us to set a good, solid example. And with, with that prelude, I will read a headline from the Tennessean. Uh, Pastor Greg Locke's Wilson County Global Vision Church tent sustains massive snow damage.
2: <laughs> wow. Isn't that... Isn't that sad? I'm crying on the inside. Man. In the arms of the angel,
0: <laughs> fly away! Much like Pastor Locke <laughs> took a baseball bat to a Barbie's Dream House on stage for reasons... Still clearly it only to himself. It appears that the Almighty did that, but to his church building with snow.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm no insurance adjuster, but I think that might technically uh, qualify as an act of God. Hey. So, well,
0: uh, Jed, to that point, I imagine that Greg Locke is not an insurance adjuster any, either because that involves knowing things about something. But well, right. uh, this quote from the Tennessee article, the pastor expects insurance will cover equipment— but not the cost of the repair of the tent itself. Locke gave mm. an initial estimate of $150,000 in damages based on what he's seen so far.
2: Wow. That's a wow. pretty nice tent there, Greg. That, that is a very, very nice tent. I didn't know that they made $150,000 tents. Well, even uh, it would,
1: you know, the repairs are $150,000. Who knows what the actual tent costs initially? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I want to be, you know, cool about this and not a jerk face type person, but like, (laughs) but like dude has been like really, really evil. So it's just hard not to smile. Yeah. I I hate to say that out loud, but it's just hard not to smile.
0: Well, there's also, and for for those of you who are a bit younger or didn't grow up in America, in the United States or didn't have really any view into evangelical culture, the, um, the blaming of natural disaster phenomena on groups of people they don't like. has kind of been this type of person's playbook for a long time. Yeah. Ever since Pat yeah. Robertson blamed, I believe it was hurricane Katrina specifically on lesbians. Yeah. Not on just like LGBT people though that wasn't really term at the time, but not just on like queer people, but specifically lesbians. This is on you. And that was, that was a
2: strange entry in that genre, but by no means an outlier. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think he also blamed an earthquake in Haiti on them collectively making a deal with the devil.
0: Yeah, if any, if any nation in the world has gained the riches and status that comes from selling your immortal soul to the underworld, it's definitely Haiti. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. We yeah. For- Oops, we forgot to ask for anything.
1: <laughs> I feel like that first Pat Robertson thing that you mentioned to us tells us more about Pat Robinson than it does about the lesbians he's blaming. I mean possibly
2: Lee, are you suggesting that a certain number of accusations are more a confession than anything else because I don't much care for that kind of talk, sir.
1: <laughs> In the words of Shakespeare, methinks the pastor doth protest too much. <laughs>
0: Yes. Um, I'm also interested in uh, Greg Locks. So there's, they also have in this uh, article a picture of him. And if you guess that he has a Carhartt Beanie on, you get absolutely no points because that's, of course, just on the face of it, the obvious thing. But so right before he guesses that they'll need $150,000, which I'm sure he's currently fundraising, uh, he says uh, verbatim, We don't, it's hard to tell what exactly we'll need repairing, but we have some very capable and determined people that are working on all aspects. So it's definitely hard to tell what's going to happen, but I definitely need $150,000. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I'm also confused by the pastor expects the insurance will cover equipment. I assume that like sound equipment and stuff got wrecked on the inside, but I like the idea that the insurance told him like, okay, look, we'll send the cherry pickers but you got to fix it yourself. That'd be a very interesting insurance model. Yes. (laughs) And way too many middle-aged white guys would take them up on it. Like we'll cut your, we'll cut your premium by $5 a month. But if something happens, we'll only give you the stuff and you have to fix it.
1: Wow. Wow. I'm just thinking about, um, Isaiah chapter one in the, uh, in the scriptures and how it says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And what a comforting thing snow has been to the heart of the believer. And now, <laughs> oh, Pastor
0: Locke. I think my friend, part my friend, of what Lee is saying there is if that, that if uh, Pastor Greg Locke was actually about it, he would have just had the service in the snow-collapse tent and used it as if the Lord himself had given him the sermon analogy.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Oh, this is a fun detail. The church is also involved in a pending lawsuit filed by Wilson County that claims it completed work on its campus without the proper approvals
2: and permits. Interesting. Are you Ah. suggesting that part of the point of approvals and permits is to make sure that buildings or structures um, are structurally sound to be able to withstand basic weather conditions?
0: No, Jed, we all know that uh, building code is a type of undercover communism because people hate freedom. Ah. That's nothing ah, to do with those, uh, whatever you just said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and here, But here's what I would like to say going forward. Um, How long until he blames it on a witch? Because we know Greg Locke loves to bring up the witchcraft. If you've forgotten, not only is he the Barbie guy, <laughs> he's also the one who... Yelled about how he knows there are witches in the church in his church. Yeah, I know because they go to his wife's Bible
2: study. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, since we're kind of getting into like you know D and D lore type stuff, is there a chance that he also has an undercover snow elemental in his church? Hey, Hey.
0: oh, Jed, that's very interesting. I was going to go another way because another one of this type type of person's favorite targets is Disney. So, does he find a way to specifically blame this on? the main char- main characters from Frozen and oh. misinterpret that movie so that he thinks they're witches.
2: Oh, that's very good. That's very good. I feel good. like that's a pretty good Greg Locke sermon Mad Lib right there. I like that. I like that. And, dude, I think we can really... We can do one of the the Weirdo Christian's Greatest Hits, which is the subliminal messages in music. Ooh. And so the, the famed song, Do You Want to Build a Snowman, subliminally it says, Do You Want to Build a Snowman on top of the tent of Greg Locke's church that will cause it to collapse because the weight is so great. It's a <laughs> lot of subliminal lyrics in there, but that's what's actually going on in that song. Great pull.
0: Somehow yeah. when you play that song backwards, it has three times the lyrics.
2: Yeah. Than it yep, is normally, that's right.
0: but that's just, that's just how satanic math works.
2: <laughs> well, that's why you need witches.
0: <laughs> uh, another quote from this article, which is great, uh, Locke says, It was definitely a setback in some ways, but will prove to work together for our good, just like the Bible promises. I'm not sure that what? verse is about uh, your roof caving in from snow because you did the unpermitted work yourself.
2: I like to think that as Greg Locke said those words somewhere in in the great beyond the apostle Paul is going nope 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 not what i meant nope nope <laughs> nope, nope nope nope
0: You know the scene in Annie Hall a uh, movie uh, unfortunately of which the writer star and director is lost to time but it was a very good movie um like like an ancient script we don't know who much like a homeric no. character uh, but there's the scene where like the 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 guy in the line is bleeding on about some kind of academic and the joke is that uh the person just just produces him out of midair and he just turns the guy goes you know nothing of my work (laughs) (laughs) i feel like on that day when all things are revealed uh the apostle paul is going to be having a lot of those conversations
1: yeah i'd say so
0: i also feel like and you know far be it for me to to police how people find comfort from the scriptures but as much as Romans eight twenty eight is one of the the great you know comforts in the scriptures, very easy to understand. People latch onto it. It's also one of the ones that I feel like should come with a big uh, asterisk of not necessarily if this is just a problem you made yourself. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: what, what what I like to do, kind of my system is when I've got inadvisable leftovers, like they've been in the fridge a few days longer than it would really be smart to eat. I just kind of chant Romans 828 to myself, and then I eat them anyway. I figure it'll probably be nice. okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like to, if it's been really snowy and icy sometimes in Chicago, uh, but I need to go somewhere, even though it's uh, travel advisory's out, I just like to go ahead and floor it and just realize that, hey, if I go smashing into a building, that's, that's just, look at all this material strewn across the, uh, the, the yard here that I've given the Lord to work with. To do things for our, our betterment.
1: <laughs> for For the rest of my life, I'm now going to imagine Jed like pulling into the Taco Bell drive-through, just going through Romans eight twenty-eight <laughs> methodically. <laughs>
2: Okay, so you know how some people, well, you know, this is like 10 years ago now, right? But before they would do something really unwise, they would say to themselves, YOLO, and then they would, you know, That's right. I don't know, have their eighth margarita or whatever. Like, basically, I want to start a Christian trend where before you do something you really shouldn't do, you just go, Romans eight twenty eight, and then you, you know, I don't know, you know, have the Taco Bell taco at four in the morning and just, you know, hope for the best.
0: He will work third meal for our good. <laughs> he won't. He could, but he hasn't yet.
2: Yeah, <laughs> We're for holding out for the miraculous, but, you know. Sometimes, you know, with, like, big companies and, like, customer service stuff, like, you'll go to them and you'll make a request, right? And, and I, I think, you know, often a smart way to do it is to be like, hey, look, I know you guys don't have to, and I know I'm, like, I'm past the return period, but, like you know um could you just this once is there any chance you could let me return this right and what sometimes you know customer service people will say it would be like as a one time thing at our sole discretion yes we're you know issuing you a code where you know you can you can return this and i i kind of like to think of of the lord almost having like a customer service channel where he evaluates romans 828 um requests and and it's like, nice. yeah, this is at the, the sole discretion of heaven. And we are definitely going to be denying that Taco Bell request, Jed. That was <laughs> not a good idea. We will not be transforming that to your good. You should not have done that.
0: So it's kind of he works all things, asterisk, terms and conditions apply for the
2: good. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. yes.
1: Some some I'm I'm picturing some kind of like like uh, uh like deep fried Hershey. Chalupa mashup. <laughs> Hershey Chalupa Cheeto mashup that Jed is attempting to write off
0: with Romans A-28.
2: Lee, you talk as though you know me.
0: <laughs> I think that reveals, because there is the, the great nation of Scotland is known for the deep fried, the what they would call Mars, what we in the United States called call Stickers Bar. That's a national thing you can get there. And I think that does reveal something about the nature of our universe in that, um, the Lord kept Scotland and Mexico far apart for a reason. And one of it <laughs> yeah. says no one could ever combine the deep fried Mars bar with any kind of taco product. Yeah. And people from that, uh, people from that
1: Island regularly eat beans for breakfast. So, you know,
0: it's their cultural heritage, <laughs> <laughs> a cultural heritage of living in a place where things that you wanted to eat wouldn't grow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And with that said, I forget. It's unclear how we veered off to take a shot at the British there, but, eh, you know. (laughs) Here we are. Here we are. And that we will declare emergency off. With that, we turn to your fine questions. Our first question. If you have a question, you can hang with us all the way to the end, where I'll give you some addresses, or you can scroll down in your episode description. Click the links you find there. First question comes in anonymously and says... Did you guys see the story of the Ohio pastor who was charged for letting homeless people sleep in his church during the cold snap? Uh, they've included a link. Uh, they've also uh pretty healthfully uh summed it up. So that's pretty much what happened. A guy in Ohio uh basically opened his church so that uh homeless people could sleep there when the temperatures were very dangerous. Um, and the local uh police department uh brought him up on criminal charges, which is great for basically a zoning violation of saying this are this is not zoned as any kind of residence, so people can't sleep here. Um, They uh, our question asker goes on to say it got me thinking about what I would do. Would breaking the law be the right thing to do? I think a, a very interesting question, and I, probably something that if, as, as that story and those kind of stories, which are unfortunately being uh, more common as some municipalities are passing laws uh, outlawing feeding uh, homeless people and doing this kind of thing, are, are getting. Occasionally, those will pop up on social media, and I think it's a perfectly natural question to wonder what one would do. In that situation, but uh, Jed, what will we say to our question asker here, who's maybe looking for some some insight into this situation, but just the uh, the idea of giving themselves a break in general?
2: It's uh, really glad that you wrote in. It, it is a, a pertinent question, and it's definitely worth asking. Let's acknowledge for a minute: if you grew up in the evangelical church, let's maybe acknowledge some of what might be driving this question, which is that. For a long time, at least in the U.S., evangelical churches kind of love these fictional situations of if someone put a gun in your face and said, do you believe in God, what would you say? Like they're really in love with these kind of, you know, forced choice moments and that, you know, your your response in that moment determines what you really believe. And in fact, we were you know, kind of joking about a similar thing on, on an episode of of Say That recently with this absurd thing of if you were a skydiver, but you were an atheist and a baby was skydiving. Skydiving baby evangelist. Exactly right. And the only way to save the baby was for you to become a Christian, even though you're an atheist, what would you do? And again, like, I'm, I'm not sure what informs it, but like these kind of weird moralistic hypotheticals are have been a really big part of christian culture for for a lot of years and and in some places still are and i'm i'm guessing that that's part of where you're coming from is this sense of like you know do i do i believe enough am i committed enough that i would you know you know suffer for my faith and and here's the thing is those kind of questions can be worth examining but I actually want to pull the camera way, way back on this and and suggest something completely different, something way, way more practical, um, because I think it it actually – it involves – it gets to the point of how you help people in the real world, which I think you want to do. Mm. So in the spirit of let's talk about how to actually help people, I want to begin with this. If it involves the law, talk to a lawyer. Mm. Let me repeat that. If it involves the law – talk to a lawyer. Don't talk to your pastor about it. Talk right. to a lawyer. And the reason is your pastor doesn't know anything about the law. A lawyer knows about the law. And the way that you can know that is they spent at least 3 years studying it and then they had to pass a very very difficult exam to prove that they actually knew things about it and they have a license to be able to give people advice about the law. So the moralistic views of people in your church um have absolutely nothing to tell you about the law. The advice of a lawyer has things to tell you about the law. If it involves the law, talk to a lawyer. And specifically, great questions to ask would include, what's my exposure here if I do this thing that I'm looking to do? What are the potential consequences if I do this thing that I'm looking to do? How, how bad is this in a legal sense? And critically, and I can't emphasize this one enough, Are there acceptable workarounds? Are there ways to do the thing that I essentially want to do that remain within the bounds of legality, that don't subject me to criminal or civil liability? Are there ways to do this while remaining, even if it's, you know, by inches on the right side of the law? Here's why that stuff is important. Christians love to think that the law is a a moral document. That, you know, the law separates good guys from bad guys and righteousness from evil. It doesn't. Law is nothing more than a system of rules, the vast majority of which are arbitrary. Let me repeat that. Law, in most cases, is a collection of rules, most of which are arbitrary. Law, in most cases, is not moral. It's not immoral. It is amoral. And some of them are changeable. Most of all of them were made by people. They can be unmade by people. They can be adapted by people. Laws in almost all cases are amoral, meaning they don't have a moral quality. They simply are, for the moment, the rules by which we are expected to abide. And it's worth noting, I'm about to make a statement that is neither pro or anti-law enforcement. And it's important to me that you be aware when I say that. Law enforcement's job is literally that, to enforce the laws as they are today. Law enforcement's job is not to enforce the laws they think are good and not enforce laws they think are bad. It's to enforce the laws as they exist today. Law does not intrinsically have a moral quality to it. And so, what all of this means is that until we have consulted a licensed, qualified, experienced, good lawyer, Asking if we're prepared to break the law is the wrong question. I know that that is not exactly what you're looking for because it doesn't cut to that heart of, are you prepared to suffer consequences to do what's right? That's an interesting question and it's worth looking at, but that's never the place to start. The place to start is there's a thing that I want to do. There's a thing that I feel called to do. Is there a smart way to do that? There's a thing that I want to do. There's a thing I think the Lord is leading me to do. Is there a strategic way to do that? The Bible calls us to be as innocent as doves. That part means doing the right thing, but as wise as serpents. That means doing the right thing in a smart way. I can tell you in my own work, um, I am frequently consulting with lawyers I am frequently consulting with people who know all kinds of areas of law because there are things that I want to do, but I want to do them in smart ways. I want to do them in ways that don't expose me or my coworkers or my organization or anybody else to to legal liabilities. Um, If it involves the law, talk to a lawyer. And and, and this part, I'll leave you with this. I can't emphasize this enough. Doing a Google search is not the same as talking to a lawyer. And talking to your buddy who's you know done a lot of stuff is not the same as talking to a lawyer. And talking to your cousin who is licensed to practice law in a completely different state than the one that you live in, that's not the same as talking to a lawyer. Talk to an actual lawyer who knows the relevant field in the community in which you live and has helped other people answer this same question. If it involves a law, talk to a lawyer.
0: Yes, the very, rare, um, the very rare endorsement of inter- inter- engaging with lawyers as the moral option, but in this case, <laughs> it very much is, and the wise one too. Uh, all great stuff from Jed there. Lee, uh, I'd love to get you to pick us up here because there is the, I think as, as Jed is pointing to in, in some of his answer there, there's also um, the idea of doing something that is right and wrong that exists outside of whether it is legal or, or illegal. Um, and that is something that really, as Jed points out, the the apparently the American church is deeply uncomfortable with in some ways. And um, you know, there's the but it is pretty scriptural. I understand where this person's coming from. Of uh, we can't dismiss out of hand that just because something violates local uh, local the local constabulary's rules that it may not be right. Uh, the right thing to do. So where do we where do we start with all that?
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's first of all I, i'm i, I loved uh, where where jed took us on this and in that response especially just kind of in reframing the question um and completely agree on all that I, I the only thing that i would add on to that is that I, I i think i've mentioned it before in the show but about 4 or 5 years ago i read a book called charged and this was it was just kind of about some you know problems in the criminal justice system in the United States, and the author of the book, um, one of the one of her biggest points in the entire book was: if you don't know anything about politics, but you see that there are local things in, in some of your local systems and laws that are unjust, the most effective thing that you can the most effective election that you can care about is your local DA. Yep, that's yep, the yep. most. Impact that your individual vote can have. Learn as much as you can about who is running for the office of your district attorney, um, because these people are going to have the most impact on just the way the, the way that the law is enforced in your local community. I just say that just to just attack an extra <clears throat> just tack an extra thing onto what Jed is saying, and, and a practical thing that you can do to get involved. Um, with local politics, I I know very very little about local politics, but I've done enough prison ministry to care about the DA and to care about you know criminal justice and how some of that stuff is carried out. Um, I I I know a f- a few of of the city council members who serve in my city other th- other than that I really don't know any politicians at all but I would say and and I'm I'm really glad that Jed brought this up because it's very clear from your question that you're a person that cares about how people are treated in your community and that's super cool of you it's super cool that that the way people are being treated in your community is taking you to the extreme measure where you're asking this question of yourself and and bringing this question to us so Talk to some city council members. Look at the laws. If you're not a resident of the the city where this uh, situation happened, I think it was was it Cincinnati. Uh, it
0: was the Cincinnati area. I'm not sure the exact
1: city. Yeah, and so uh, if if that's not your community, and you just saw the story or heard about it in church or something like that, then get interested in some city council members there in your community and find out what what do we how do we treat homeless and poor people, and and how can I impact some of that? This, your question did make me think of certain things just off the top of my head. It just, certain times, you know, certain questions, they make me kind of run a mental Rolodex of some things in scripture. And it is very interesting just because, um, you know, obviously, obviously, some of Jesus's actions were so extreme that they not only got him in trouble, but got him executed. Um, and so this is not the advice that we would give you is to you know to break the law to the extent that you get in that kind of trouble that Jesus is getting into but um, but Jesus did get in trouble with local you know with with local leaders and you know for for healing people on the Sabbath and then telling them to carry their sleeping bags because they had they had created exactly as Jed 's saying they had created an extreme version of certain laws that went to the point of being completely ridiculous. He, uh, When he was in an argument with some of these folks, he mentioned a time where King David fed his starving soldiers with what was called the showbread in the tabernacle, which was only allowed to be eaten by the priests. And Jesus referenced it as something that David did that was the right thing to do, even though it broke um, uh, you know, a, a local law. I bring those things up to say really to kind of underline something that Jed said here, which is laws may not be moral things they may be they may be the we may have laws on the books that cause us to treat people in an unjust way, so that being the case, there are going to be times where you need to figure out what does it mean for you to do the right thing. I like the way that jed is is giving us the advice of talk to a lawyer and find out how you can do the right thing on the right side of the law that's fantastic advice and then if you do have the ear of anybody who sits on a board or sits in meetings where certain you know local policies can be adjusted or changed then use your voice in that situation and find out what can be done it's certainly true that um that seeking out what is merciful and right for the poor and the homeless is a just cause to not only be informed about, but to care about and to do something about.
0: Absolutely right. I totally agree with everything uh, both of these guys said. Um, I would I would add to that that um, to kind of tie together what they're saying here. If you if you read the story, and will we'll put the link in the with the question in the show notes. Um. They, it is pretty clear to my reading of the story that, and this again has happened in more and more municipalities around uh, particularly America, which is very sad. They don't want you helping poor people because they don't want poor people to live in their community. They don't want poor people to exist. So they don't want people, um, you know, the law enforcement certainly, and Jed was very diplomatic. I will be less so. The point of law enforcement is to, um, through, uh, at least the implicit threat of violence, uh, do what's best for the people who. Uh, own property in a community as we were kind of where we are in America. That's kind of what law enforcement does. Um, Shouldn't, it shouldn't be what it does, but it's kind of, if you look at what they do, that's the function. And that's why things like the DA are very, very important. But, uh, but they didn't just come out and say, we passed the, you, we passed the, we hate the homeless law and you violated it. What they said was this violates zoning, but also um, violates fire code because there are uh, fire code things we found when the city did an inspection. And, you can't have this many people in here because of that. So uh, to the point Jed made, it it would be very helpful to be smart about such things. If you have a building where you might want to do something that might be pushing the level of the zoning, you probably want your fire code stuff super up to snuff. You want to have yep. a good relationship with the people who uh, do and enforce those things. That's that's just a smart way to do that. Um, but the other thing I want to pick up on is what uh, Lee was saying there kind of towards the end because I think I think another big part of the reason that We're seeing things like this. We're seeing things like several places in Florida now, including I believe the Tampa area, where they've outlawed basically uh, feeding home. uh, They've attempted to outlaw feeding homeless people by saying you can't give away food to more than, I think it's like 10 or 20 people in a public area and making that an illegal kind of congregation. A part of the idea with laws, with tying stuff, is to make it so that Practices they can't really outright ban, they can make so laborious and so time-intensive that you just give up. Mm. That you don't go through the red tape, that you don't uh, put that much effort into it because they have used the legal system to make that a pain point so that people don't do it. Um, that That is a time to not give into that. If, it, whether, if there's a way to help um, poor people, and again, I, I can only speak from the... The perspective of America, because that's the only place, the only country I've ever tried to do that in, most uh, municipalities, cities of any size are going to make that difficult. Um, Sometimes that's because for decent reasons that they want to make sure people are doing things the right way, that they're licensed or that they have, you know, the right permits. And that's, that's actually a good thing. Sometimes it's because they don't want people doing that at all if they can avoid it. But um, they're going to be obstacles to push through. So. Uh, you, you push through that because you have the heart and the calling to do that, but you push through that in a smart way as opposed to just uh, going off and doing the most, the most of things you can think of. And if you combine those things, I think you will find uh, that you can do a whole lot of good in a lot of situations. With that, we're going to move on to our second question. It comes in and says, what is fasting for? I don't see how being hungry is going to make me a better Christian. And I think, and there's a lot of fasting discourse and a lot of talk about such things, maybe especially gaining the year. I think that second point is one that is underrepresented in most discussions of fasting I've ever heard, because uh, I'm not at my holiest when I have not had breakfast. That may just be me. Uh, but Jed, I think, I think you're a great question. And I think, again, we're probably, we, we normally get stuff like this this time of year, where maybe churches are fasting or maybe people are reading a book about it, and it's a, a new year, new me kind of Christian-y practice. So what... What is it actually for, and what are some of the pitfalls?
2: It's a great question. Uh, so, first, let's kind of, you know, ask your, your, let's answer your literal question. Um, and kind of the Sunday school answer is that for in most situations, uh, fasting, and, and you can fast from anything, right? You can fast from food. Um, you can, you can fast from video games. You can fast from, you know, scrolling TikTok, you know, wh- whatever. But the point in, stuff that's not completely toxic anyway, is to help you have a greater focus on spiritual matters, right? So, I mean, it's it's kind of the equivalent of, like, you're going to tie a red thread around your, your finger and that, you know, throughout the day, every time you see the red thread, it will remind you to stop and pray, um, you know? And so similarly, you know, you're going to, uh you're going to fast from coffee for you know for a day and you know whenever you you start to feel tired that'll be a reminder that you that you stop and pray you know you're going to you're going to fast from from food from you know uh, uh sun up to sundown which is something that occurs in, in certain cultures and um you know whenever you feel hungry it will it will remind you to to stop and and pray and that's that's fine um you know if it if it works for you if it if it helps you that's great to your question you know how does that make me a better christian if it helps you dial in, you know, m- to be more attentive to deeper spiritual realities, I think that in a sense it can it can help you be a better Christian. I there are a couple of caveats that are massively important. Uh, the first is that if you have um, medical reasons to not engage in, uh, when most people when they talk about fasting, they mean food. Again. I want to be clear, you can fast from all kinds of things, but, but you know, most of the time people, people mean food. If you have medical reasons to um, not be doing that, um, you need to listen to your doctor. Um, there are all kinds of medical reasons, and some of them have to do with mental health, why you should not do that. Um, and um, if you're wondering who needs to get a better vote on this between your pastor and your doctor, it should be your doctor. Um, right.
0: Jed, I just laid my glycemic index down at the foot of the cross and— Kind of push through. Maybe that's don't just we, me.
2: Don't we all? This
1: this is really the opposite of the the Romans eight twenty eight mantra in the Taco Bell drive <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: One of the things, unfortunately, that often happens with with fasting um, is. It's either a way to try and prove to yourself that you're a spiritual badass, and that's a terrible idea, and it's also a bad motivation to do basically anything mm-hmm. um and or kind of this weird um conflation that holiness and masochism are somehow linked, and I assure right. you they are not, and that is a a bad idea and a bad road to to go down um, with that said. I would want to share with you, and this, this is much broader than, than fasting, one of the most powerful and most mature realizations that you can make in life is that almost nothing works for everybody. There's almost nothing in life that is a good idea for all people at all times, in all seasons, no matter what. Um, and so what that means is that part of growth and maturity is figuring out the things that work well for you and the things that don't work well for you. And I think particularly in, in Christian circles, there's this weird thing where if it works well for me, it's like, it has to work well for other people. And that's not true. Uh, there are things that I enjoy that I definitely wouldn't recommend other people. There's things I find therapeutic that I wouldn't recommend to other people. An example is um, I like and I, you know, I've been um, I've been involved in in running and and other activities like that for a long time now. Like I like running in the heat. There's just there's something about it that I just I like. And I, I for me, it feels therapeutic. I would not recommend that to other people. This is not one of those things of like, it's super hardcore, so you should totally do it. No, it's a borderline dumb idea. If you do a very, very small amount of it, it's it's okay. I happen to like it. I actively would not recommend it to other people. By contrast, I'm aware that there are things that a lot of other people enjoy that I basically hate and are like poison for me. Um, an example is I know that there's a lot of people where just – man, we're going to sit around the campfire and somebody's going to pull out a guitar and we're going to sing old youth group songs and as the deer panteth for the water and it's going to be great. And man, if that works for you, like if that's an encouragement to you, I'm super pumped for you. I hate that so bad I can't even tell you because it is nothing but bad memories for me. It's a reminder of all the places I didn't fit in and didn't belong. I can't imagine a moment in my life where that would be an encouragement. But the fact that I hate it doesn't mean that you can't benefit from it. If it, if it works for you, that's really, really, truly great. The point of this, again, is there are no one-size-fits-all situations in life. There, there, there just aren't. You are a unique human being. You have a unique, a unique physiology. You have a unique spirituality. You have a unique identity and personhood. You You ask about becoming a better Christian. There are things that will help you grow in your spiritual life and in your ongoing encounter with the divine, I can't tell you precisely what those things are going to be. I can give you some guidelines that will probably point you in the overall direction, but the specifics, my friend, you will have to figure out for yourself that that kind of eerie Bible verse about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. One of the implications of that is you've got to figure out what works for you. Just like every marriage is unique and every, you know, married couple has to figure out what works for them, your relationship with God is unique. What what works for you, you have to figure out between you and God. And that's that's okay. And if you find that fasting from Netflix, you know, you know, a day out of the month just helps you be in a place where you're more focused on things you care about, great. Fantastic. I'm happy for you. That doesn't mean that it's a good idea for other people. But it not being a good idea for other people doesn't mean that's necessarily a bad idea for you either. You've got your own race to run. Um, Feel free to experiment. Feel free to explore. Uh, One good guideline is if it's causing you pain, that's something to be very, very careful with. That's probably a sign something is going wrong. Um, But. Letting other people pressure you into there's there's a hardcore way to do this Jesus thing. Man, sure would be amazing if you did it the hardcore way. That's a bunch of nonsense. You can reject that out of hand no matter what the recipe they're trying to get you to follow might be.
0: I think that's a really, really excellent way to start that off. And Lee, where do we pick this up?
2: It's great. I, I love
1: everything that Jed said to us there. I, I want to get into a little bit of kind of like what was fasting maybe about. Uh, when we, cause you do read about it in the scriptures. So like what was going on there? Um, and Jed's exactly right. You could, you can fast from chocolate and you can fast from, you know, Mario Kart, and you can fast from all kinds of different things. Um, you know, online shopping or something like that. But, um, you know, typically when you read about this in scripture, what you see is people fasting from food. Um, I've had a chance <clears throat> to do a little bit of traveling in Europe, And one of the things that I've realized in a different culture that's not America, a, a culture that's from an older part of the world, um, meals are a completely different thing than we experience in American culture. Um, the, the preparation, the cooking, the actual eating, enjoying, spending time at a meal, and then the clearing up those things are almost ritualistic community events they last hours Th- this is a very 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 long process and um i had <laughs> i had a situation where i was i was serving at a camp um in um a couple hours outside of barcelona and i was on the team that like served the food and then i was but i was also part of the team that did the the cleaning up the dishes but then I was also on the team that played music for the gathering, like the little meeting that we would have. And all of those things piled on top of each other at once so that I didn't have a chance to eat anything. So I was serving food, and then I was cleaning dishes, and I had to hustle over to the, the, like the little place where we were going to have this meeting and grab a guitar and everything. So I threw a plate of food together and ran over to the other room where we were going to have the meeting and I'm just shoveling this food into my face, which is like, as an American, this is a completely normal event. It's like, we we go to buildings, we've already talked about it on this show, and they hand us food out of a window and we eat it in the car on our way to the next thing. But every single person who was from this country, when they watched me like just sitting down myself by, by myself, just slamming this plate of food in, a, in about four or five minutes, they were all just like... You poor thing. Like, we are so sorry that this is happening to you because the meal is such a sacred space of like spending a long, long time. I tell you that whole thing to say this the culture that, that the biblical writers, the biblical authors were coming from was that kind of culture where the preparation, the cooking, the eating, and the clearing up of a meal was a space that took hours and people were all in this together when they would have times of fasting this was a time of saying we are going to set that whole thing aside and we're going to have a different focus on our relationship with God for a certain amount of time it might be a day it might be one meal it might be um a couple of days in the week or something like that but it was usually for a specific reason maybe for a specific thing that they were praying about or specific kind of situation in their life and their spiritual, you know, journey. But to set aside the 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 you know, to fast from eating was to really like kind of almost buy back a gigantic chunk of time in their day that they were then devoting to their relationship with God. That's so I I tell you all of that to say this is the kind of cultural landscape that the idea of fasting comes from when you read it in the scriptures is these people were saying, there is a specific reason that we want to commit some focus and some devotion to our our spiritual journey, our relationship with the Lord. So we're going to forego this meal. And what that's going to allow us to do is it's going to allow us to really, really have this humongous chunk of time that we're going to then devote to our relationship with the Lord. That may be something that, you know, I mean, if you fast for a meal in the United States, that might be like, you might, you might've gotten 20 minutes back. Um, The question here for me would be, what is that thing that you, like what is a version of that that you could be looking for in your spiritual journey? If you want to find um, a different kind of focus and a different kind of if you want to commit some uh, you know just kind of a different level of focus or devotion to your journey with the Lord and your experience of being in a relationship with him for a specific amount of time, what would that look like for you? Um, wh- what kind of schedule change or what kind of thing that could you introduce and And then I would say, try it out um, exactly as Jed's saying, definitely, definitely don't do any of this if it's something that gets in the way of your personal health if it is in any in any way you find like it makes things worse in any of that kind of stuff and then specifically if we want to look at the teaching of Jesus and this is super duper important because in the the context that i grew up in <laughs> anybody that was fasting they always let you know like, it was always on the front of the, you know, it's like, wow, you're looking good these days. What's going on? Well, you know, I've been fasting for the last two weeks. Oh!
0: That was pre-social media. They still found a
1: way to let you know. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, this, was, this was in the 1980s, my friends. They, they, there was no social media, but they always let you know. I, I say that to say this. The teaching of Jesus was, if you are doing something like that, because there is something about your spiritual journey that you want to you want to find something. You want to you want to connect with the Lord in a specific way. Don't let anybody know about it. This is not for points. It's not to look cool. It's not to be the best or anything like that. This is for you and the Lord. This is for your journey with him. This is for your relationship with with him this is not a um this is this is not a competition to win it's not a thing to brag about it's not a, a way for you to be elite for you to like you know have a uh you know to 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 win the spiritual super bowl this is if you are looking for your life and your walk and your relationship with the lord to be something different or something more what is something that you could do to invest in that and let it be between you and him and I think those are some of the lessons that we can pull out of what we see in fasting from the scriptures.
0: Oh, yeah, it's fantastic stuff from both of these guys. Um, one thing that Lee kind of mentioned there that I will just make sure we hang a light on, fasting is not and should not be a weight loss strategy. No. If, if that is part of what, if there's you a know, group of people doing it or you're thinking about doing it that's part of the idea as well, you know, we'll, we'll focus on the Lord and maybe I'll get a little bit healthier. And nope, 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 that's diet, which is a whole different thing that you should develop alongside a medical professional. Um, so, uh, again, at this time of year, there's a lot of churches who want to do praying and fasting and that's great if you want to do it that way. Um, but to, to the Lee's very strong point in the there, make sure that that's what that, if you want to participate in it, make sure that that's the thing you're participating in and not some other weird thing that is uh, going to be something entirely different and not at all helpful. With that, we move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, In Mark 7, Jesus is roasting the Pharisees about how they honor God with their lips, quote, but their hearts are far from him. Isn't that true of everyone? Is there something particular about their case? Uh, I think it's a great question, not only because I really like the the modern interpretation of Jesus roasts the Pharisees. <laughs> I like the I like, I like picturing the Comedy Central uh, logo for that, but uh, I think... Interesting question uh, and really a lot in there. So, Jed, where do we start?
2: Uh, Okay, so we're going to start with an an old, fairly silly joke that I'm going to edit the language on uh, because when you read Mark 7... There's a lot of kind of cultural and historical stuff going on, but, but the dynamic of what is happening, like the relational dynamic, is almost identical to the old joke that I'm about to tell you. So here's the old joke. So there's a bar and a sailor and a soldier both walk into the bathroom, and the sailor and the soldier, they each go to a urinal. And the sailor uh, finishes first and goes to the sink and begins washing his hands. And the soldier steps away from the urinal and begins to just walk towards the exit. And the sailor coughs loudly, says, you know, in the Navy, they teach us to wash our hands when we use the bathroom. So and the soldier stops, looks back and says, you know what? In the army, they teach us to not pee on ourselves. And then walks out of the bathroom. Okay, so that's the old silly joke. It's almost an identical thing to what's happening here, like literally in Mark 7. I want you to keep that joke in mind. Here's Mark 7. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw that some of his disciples were eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washings of cups, etc. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. We'll pause there. There's more, but we'll, we'll pause there. again. The the conversation that you're seeing unfolding there, it's it's the same thing as the sailor and soldier in in the bar bathroom. This is Jesus giving a witty retort to a jerky comment. We talked recently on this show about kind of cinematic moments in the Bible. This is basically an exchange out of mean girls. Like that's that's what's going on here. I mean, literally, someone's like, ooh, why are you eating with your nasty little hands? That that is literally what's going on in this moment and Jesus is giving a bit of a clap back on that. Part of why I'm pointing all that out is that as we always say on this show, context matters. Context always matters. It, was this intended. Your point is well made of like, well aren't aren't we all hypocrites? Yeah, we are, but this is this is an argument. This is not a moment where a precise Academic, almost scientific discourse on the nature of hypocrisy is being given. This is a oh no 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 we're we're the no that's we're not going to be doing that here no 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 so we we want to keep that in mind that again it's so easy to read things in the Bible and assume that every single thing that's being said all the time again is meant as this perfectly articulated um It would be always true in all cases, no matter what, with no exceptions ever, theological discourse, when sometimes it's people talking, which is what's going on here. But let's dig a bit deeper into that notion of hypocrisy, and so to do that, we're going to flip back over, we're going to read a little bit further. I'm back on verse 9 in chapter 7 now. Jesus continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Okay, again, there's a lot of, of cultural stuff. There's a lot of historical stuff there. I can give you a, a present-day example. There are groups in the United States that will tell you you got to support the troops no matter what. You got to support the troops. And to be clear, I agree. My wife is a veteran. I'm actually involved in in many causes related to veteran advocacy. Uh, I think we should absolutely support the troops. I am all about that. Here's an interesting thing. One of the key beneficiaries of food stamps are the families of active duty U.S. military. So. If you are trying to cut food stamps in the United States, you are actively hurting the troops. And interestingly, the same groups that the loudest say we got to support the troops are the same groups that the most want to cut food stamps. You cannot support the troops and also cut food stamps because these are pointed in two different directions. This is a willful and deliberate hypocrisy. Supporting the troops means supporting food stamps. There's almost an identical thing happening here that Jesus is pointing out where the law, the religious text that all these folks are, are claiming to follow is very clear. You got to look out for your parents. You got to respect your parents. You got to honor them. You got to support them. You got to take care of them. You got to look out for your parents. And then they are undercutting that. They're finding a way where we don't actually have to do that like at all. Again, there's, there's a one to one correspondence between you got to support the troops, but we're also going to cut food stamps. The thing that I would ask you when, when people ask about hypocrisy, they are often referring to things in their own lives and often things that they feel ashamed about, things that they're like, yeah, I, I wish I wasn't doing XYZ, but man, I'm having a hard time and I don't know, and, and, and blah, 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 blah. There is a huge difference between. A willful, almost performative, transgressive hypocrisy that is by design speaking out of both sides of its mouth. You got to support the troops, cut those food stamps. There's a huge difference between that and there is an ideal that I am aspiring to live up to and I am not implementing it even close to perfectly. These are not the same thing. If I, as a human being, can readily see that there is a difference between a performative and deliberate hypocrisy, and a person who is trying their best, but man, they're having a hard time and things are just not working very well right now. If I, as an imperfect human being, can readily understand that there's a difference there, surely the God of the universe can understand that there is a difference there. And that's really the thing that I'd like to land on is God is not sitting in judgment on you. Whatever attempts you are making to better yourself, God sees them and God applauds them. Whatever imperfect, halting, inconsistent steps towards a better and fuller and more beautiful life you are attempting to make. God sees that and is honored that it would even be in your heart. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is a moment where God tells a person, hey, this thing isn't going to happen, but I love the fact that it's in your heart for it to happen. God sees your intentions and actually cares about your intentions. And if there's one thing that I can encourage you to do, it's not to try harder to be perfect. It's not to, um, just grit your teeth really hard and maybe do a bunch of fasting and that'll give you the spiritual fuel to finally be perfect. It's to invite God into the process of growing in whatever you're trying to grow in. Let you and God be a team on making changes. If you, if you're going to make changes, that's, that's the Christian way to do it. And that kind of goes back to that willful hypocrisy. God's nowhere in that people Mm. that are doing the talking outside of both of their mouth, both sides of their mouth saying that there's, that's, that's them, man. God, God doesn't have anything to do with it, but God wants to be a part of your life, including the imperfect halting steps towards a better one.
0: That's uh, beautifully, beautifully mm-hmm. put. And Lee, where'd we close this one out?
1: Man, there's really not much to add to that. We really just rewind it. Listen to it again. It's uh that's fantastic stuff. I love everything that Jed said on there. You know, the only, the only thing that I would add really, it's pretty unnecessary, is just to remember that when you see, when you see Jesus um, in the scriptures, every single person that he interacts with is technically a sinner. Every single person that he inter- interacts with is an imperfect person who has not even met their own standards of what they consider to be righteousness or holiness. That's an absolute true statement, every single person. but. The people that he was upset with, it wasn't, it wasn't because they did things that were wrong, because he was partying and eating with and hanging out with and becoming friends with people who were considered gigantic sinners in their societies, people who um, he, he, he was friends with sex workers. He was friends with people, people that other people considered to be traitors against their own people. He hung out with these people. He ate with them. He was friends with them. Um, the, everybody, again, everybody that Jesus interacted with was someone who was an imperfect person who didn't meet their, even their own standards. The, the people that he had a problem with were people who were responsible for leading people in understanding what it meant to know God. And the people that were responsible for letting other people know what it meant to know, what it, what it means to know and have a relationship with God we're leading people astray because of this willful hypocrisy that Judd's talking about. That's the stuff that really burned Jesus up was the idea that people, because of what you're doing to people, people are going to have a false idea of what I care about and what it means to know me. That's the, that is the situation I would point to is like, is everybody on some level, some type of, is everybody imperfect? Yes. Is everybody on some level a a sinner or maybe you could even say a hypocrite? We don't, you know, think or say or do, you know, meet our own standards. Sure. But the thing that Jesus was upset about was somebody that willfully, for their own gain, would lead people astray on what it means to know his heart, which is full of mercy, which is full of believing in them, which was full of wanting what, a a better and a beautiful life for them. Exactly what Jed is saying. I would point to these people and say it was their, it was their so-called authority. It was their positions of leadership and responsibility and the way that they were leading people astray from his heart of mercy, his heart of grace, his heart of affection, compassion, and love. That is the reason that it's like, it's not everybody that he's going off on. Everybody has their own problems and issues that they need to grow in. That is absolutely true, but it's when somebody gives other people that they're responsible for a false idea of what it means to know the compassionate and merciful heart of God that's when Jesus that's when you're going to find Jesus going off and presenting these kinds of arguments, or in, in your term question asker, that's when you're going to find Jesus roasting somebody is when they give is when they give people they're responsible for. A false idea of what it what it means to know and to and to walk with the merciful heart of God.
0: I think that's great, great stuff from both of these guys. One thing I'll I'll put right in the end here is uh, just to as as actually both these guys did to try to answer your question. Is not that true for everyone? Yes, I think when we read the scriptures, because of you know the way things go, we we sometimes read every interaction Jesus has with the Pharisees as him addressing a pe- a group of people he finds or is addressing as particularly uniquely evil and irredeemable. Um, it's worth remembering that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, pretty large group of people, some of whom went on to follow Jesus. There's a story of Nicodemus. There's implications that there are others. So um, he is not talking to the devil himself themselves every time he talks to the Pharisees. So if you see something in the Pharisees and recognize that in yourself, that's not an inherently like, uh, a terrifying moment. They were people who made choices, so they're going to be, when Jesus is describing them, he is describing people, and that is that is okay if there's uh, some overlap with you in in those things. All right, if you have a question for us, at podcast, gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask if you want to keep that entirely anonymous take of the song for this week. I've been trying to uh, think of a uh, link between this song and the stuff we have been talking about. Can't we really find one? Just really like this song. It's by Lee. It's called Child of Wandering Will. Got that. Thanks for listening. Just remember We Love You God Loves You. There's nothing you can do about it. Well you've been gone so long.
3: You're out there on your own. And you've gotten me all wrong. If you think you can so long, you're out there all alone, and you've got me all wrong, if you think you can